Welcome to Don't Be Sorry, Be Giles, also known as If the Apocalypse Comes Beat Me. This is a weekly-ish podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where we take a look at each episode according to its original air date 20 years ago. This week's episode is Season 3, Episode 12, Helpless. We'll be talking about plot. We'll be talking about characters. We'll be talking about rites of passage and David Fury. So, spoilers abound for this episode, every episode before it, after it, and possibly uh, comics and, you know, other shows and movies. We here at Beat Me Pod have tiny flaws at our cores, but we promise not to use them to hypnotize and drug you. Hello! It's another week. We're back. We've been back. You're back. I'm back. I'm here with my my co-host. My name's Kelly. Also, there's Stacia. Stacia, say hi. Hi. Daniel, say hi. Just waiting for the ice show. Uh, aren't we all the ice show in our heart that Hank will never take us to? So sad. Isn't it? It is really sad. Do we ever see him again? Hank? Uh, no. I think that was... Don't oh, no, no. He's him in uh, Normal again. Or that's not yeah. how it's called. It's not called that. The new is Normal? It? New me? Well, maybe it is called Normal again. Yeah. I think Normal, normal again. again. So yeah. that's the only In season time. six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and he's only there. Season six? I thought this was that one. In a hallucination. Season. But yeah, no, we do not see Hank Summers. I mean, those quarterly reports. Right. Well, (laughs) Helpless. That's what we're here to talk about. Episode 12, season three. Originally aired 1999. That was the year. January, the month, 19, the date. (laughs) Written by David Fury. Uh, Second of many episodes for him. The first being Go Fish, which he co-wrote with his wife, Ellen Hampton. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, This is definitely a step up for sure. Uh, the next episode he'll do will be Choices, directed by James Contner, fourth of 20 for the show. Last one he did was Revelations, unfortunate. Uh, the next one will also be Choices. So I think David Fury and James Contner actually pair up quite a bit. Yes. Um, he James Contner is actually the only person to direct a finale that wasn't Joss Whedon. He directs season mm. six's Grave. Who wrote that? David Fury. What's up? So What's up? a pretty important person, apparently, yeah. if he gets a finale. Connor also did Primeval, which you could kind of count as a season four finale since Restless is not. Coda. Yeah, so yeah. We already wrapped up the, the season arc and everything. So yeah. uh, what uh, what happened in this episode? A lot. Well, the ice show. Uh, famously did not happen. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, good try, though. This episode is it's a lot of emotion, a lot of tension in it. Uh, we start out, everything seems pretty normal, and Buffy... Uh, is hanging out with Giles and then she just kind of zones out for a while. I don't remember what the very, very first scene of this episode is clearly. What is the very, Oh, Buffy and Angel. Right. Start out with Buffy and Angel. Fank, Fanky Panky, fake Hanky Panky, Fanky Panky. You got it. Boom. Um, so they're Fanky Panky. I hate it. Fanky Panky. Yeah. Screw you beat. No. 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 <laughs> I'm on, We're not doing I'm on that. This side now. that. Yes. <laughs> Screeping is great. Fanky Panky. <laughs> um, uh, you know, realizing that their relationship can't actually be consummated, uh, as David Fury puts it. A lot it. of energy mm-hmm. that can't be. A lot of bread energy. Big bread energy. <laughs> uh, then we go to see Giles and Buffy hanging out. Giles has, has a collection of pretty rocks that he's showing Buffy, and uh, one of them makes her kind of zone out. And uh, then we cut to a scene at her in the playground getting her butt kicked by a vampire. She almost gets staked with her own stake. How embarrassing. She goes to tell Giles, hey, something is definitely up. Uh, I can't fight. Throwing knives at, and they're falling down and things are bad. Giles assures her everything is okay. Um, Buffy continues to to falter and not have any coordination, doesn't have any super strength, doesn't have anything. Uh, it turns out that 
there's this thing called the cruciamentum, which is this fucked up test that all slayers have to go to when they turn 18 arbitrarily for no fucking reason. Uh, and Buffy is now embroiled in that test, unbeknownst to her. But throughout the courses of the episode, we find out that, uh, or Buffy finds out Giles is the one that has done this to her, to her dismay. She is absolutely, utterly betrayed. Uh, and she is forced to face the vampire Kralik in this old dusty house somewhere. Oh, it's on a street. Prescott. Got a new street. We do have a new yeah. street. <laughs> <laughs> That'll come up later. Uh, and he's a not just a vampire, but a psychotic vampire who, instead of doing the normal, I'm just going to kill you thing, captures Joyce, brings her to the decrepit house on Prescott, I want to say Lane. And uh, Buffy has to go and save Joyce and defeat Kralik, which she does without her powers by getting him to imbibe holy water against his knowledge opposed to his knowledge outside of his knowledge what's how do i a vernacular anyway he drinks it he dies buffy gets her powers back as presumably uh but not until the next episode uh and nothing will ever really be the same this is a huge episode in that it sets off a bunch of courses of event also jazz gets fucking fired that's a, a huge thing which causes wesley to be a person wesley to be on angel a huge character uh it also makes Buffy and it, this is the first real strain on Buffy and Giles's relationship and they'll never 100% recover. I mean, by the end of the, in the eighth season, they're completely estranged and it's like, this is the very first moment where that, that trust is, is like kind of shattered. Um, a couple of uh, firsts in this episode, as, like I mentioned, um, oh, I forgot to bring up the council. I just said the Crucial but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, a couple of firsts in this episode, the, first appearance of anybody from the council that wasn't Giles or Miss Post, although Miss Post wasn't actually part of the council at the time she showed up. Anyway, uh, Buffy, as I mentioned, nearly gets staked by her own stake. Uh, that will happen, actually happen to her in uh, Full for Love. She There's like a nasty old rocker vampire that stabs her right in the stomach, which causes her to go talk to Spike. Um, holy Water Kill, we never see that again, before or after, which is pretty neat, and I wish there was more of a way to integrate that, but I don't know how, what situation would come up that a vampire would unknowingly drink holy water again, so. Um, and the first time that Buffy's ever been completely powerless, she's definitely been MIA for an episode, like, even going back far back as the witch, when she had the spell cast upon her by Amy's mom, and she was kind of out of it, and then uh, the famously killed by death. She wasn't powerless, she was just sick, you know, so. Uh, some fun facts. So the original title for this working or working title was 18. Not very creative. Um, Zachary Kralik is the actual name of David Fury's nephew. Uh, the, this episode was originally going to have, instead of Kralik being the bad guy, uh, Buffy, the Crucial was going to be her having a hallucination of some kind where she imagined all of her friends and family turning into vampires and then was going to have to deal with that somehow, which I don't really know how that would work, so I understand why it kind of got scrapped. Yeah. But also the wish happened, so they were like, we already did that little fantasy of what if Willow and Xander were vampires. Sure. Uh, and Christine Sutherland refused to do the vampire makeup. So... <laughs> Of course she did. <laughs> that did not oh, happen. Joyce. God, the worst. Always a buzzkill. Yeah. But I mean, I, I can understand. I bet it's not comfortable to sit like that for a long time. But I think it would be fun. I would yeah, love that fuck fucking work, do that. Right? <laughs> I want to see myself as a vampire. Yeah. Me too. I think it would be rad. Um, so not a whole lot of episodes in this show have commentary. Um, that meaning like one of this, the writers or actors does DVD commentary. Remember that? Remember DVDs, guys? So they used to do DVD commentaries. What is a DVD? <laughs> a 
a DVD is a digital video disc. It's oh. like a coaster for your yeah. drink. Nice. Imagine shiny. a shiny metal, not metal, plastic coaster that you put into something and it makes pictures and sound. Did you guys ever watch Family Guy? Not Family Guy, shit. Uh, Smart Guy. Did you guys ever watch Smart Guy on Disney Channel? Yes, that was the T and Tamara spinoff, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was their brother in real life. I don't know who this guy is. But yeah, a whole storyline was the creation of DVDs. He created, he helped create one of the DVD players. And at the time, they were like $2,000, you know, because they were brand new technology. Right, right. So in that show, they're like, we got ourselves a DVD player. Whoa, look at this disc. Oh, this thing's $2,000. What? And now it's like, trash i got the mail room at dvd electronics <laughs> professionally speaking exactly what do we do here <laughs> we make dvds digital video discs what's well, like a movie on video but instead of a cassette it's on this ah oh, thank you you've been a big help by the way i'm marcus and you are too old for you <laughs> not in europe <laughs> if i may sir the mathematical problem is one of motion compensation. We are really, really close here. No, we're really, really not. Isn't there anyone in that entire room who has a fresh idea on how to solve this problem? You could use a better methodology for your FFTs. Who said that? The little kid in the funny hat, sir. Will that work? Sure. It just seems to me that you could do it with the more elegant sine-cosine transformation to handle the motion compensation problem. Remember laser discs? <laughs> <laughs> now DVDs are included as uh, an aside to an, ex- like a, an Xbox. It's like, oh yeah, also to play DVDs, I guess, if you have to. Yeah. But you have to download this thing first. Well, it's even like with vinyls. You buy a nice vinyl, it's like, well, throw in the fucking CD and a digital code yeah, for it. Yeah, no we'll one throw, wants like, this. No one wants this crap. Yeah. Sure, you can have it all. <laughs> So this episode actually had a uh, DVD commentary from David Fury. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, um, some insights that he relayed throughout the commentary, um, and we'll kind of just have our conversation revolve around that. What happened in this episode? We'll talk about our friends and everything through the lens of David Fury's DVD commentary. I got the mustard out. That That's is him, right. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. David Fury of I Got the Mustard. They they got the mustard. They got out. the mustard out. He they, didn't. No. They no. did. They did. That's why I'm so happy. That's so <laughs> So uh, there's I really enjoyed listening to this because it was great to see kind of the writing process that they go to. Not see, but hear. Uh, the writing process they go through. Not only that, but um, some insights into Joss Whedon's thought process and just some practical things like effects or um, the, why a plot is structured the way it is. It's this was great because it kind of um, cemented for me things I already thought, like uh, the crystals thing. He's like, I didn't really know anything about crystals, but I did some research into the occult for the crystals. And most of it I made up, but some of it was true. And I was like, that is the that is how they write the show. And that, I think that's <laughs> how anybody has that's to write, point. right? I mean, like, I know I give everybody a hard time, continuity, Laura, la, 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 right? But hearing him talk about it, I was like, okay, what the fuck else are you going to do? You're trying to tell a story. You're like, I kind of got to make it at least plausible. Otherwise, what's the point? So, yeah. I know a little enough about crystals, I guess, but fuck it. Mostly I'm going to make it up to suit my ads. Uh, the playground scene is actually the same scene as, or set as the cemetery, one of the cemeteries that they use. Mm-hmm. They just redressed it. They has, he said he had, they have a you pretty small soundstage that they kind of reuse for everything they need as far as an exterior set. Where did Buffy get that rain jacket she was fighting 
Did you guys notice that when she was fighting that vampire in the... Oh, the like, blue thing? Was it blue? Like... She was just wearing a huge rain jacket. <laughs> I don't know, man. As if she brought it from home. I mean, she might have. She's they always worn anything they have... like that before. So it's many so coats. Big. So many coats. All they have is coats. For Southern California, all they have is coats. Oh, mm-hmm. um, he really enjoyed writing for Seth Green. He was sad. It's interesting. This was taking place... All of the DVD extras and DVD commentary and stuff is actually happening real time during season five of oh. the show. Um, so I'm curious as we go on what it's going to sound like once we get to season oh, six and seven because he's like trying to remember what all happened while he's relaying it and stuff. And he's like, oh man, I write this <laughs> writing for Seth Green. And Crucimentum was another thing that he was like, I don't know, I looked up a Latin word. <laughs> Crucimentum, he's like, it means torture or something. I don't know. Apparently it does mean torture or torment. Crucimentum is not easy. For slayer or watcher, but it's been done this way for a dozen centuries. Whenever a slayer turns eighteen, it's a time-honored rite of passage. It's an archaic exercise in cruelty. To lock her in this tomb, weakened, defenseless, to unleash that on her. Um, and let's. This will be a great point to talk about the Crucimentum. What it is. So. This is uh, an insidious test devised by the council to put their slayer in unnecessary danger as if she doesn't face that already every day and possibly kill her for the sake of making sure she's a good slayer, as if her being alive isn't testament to that enough. But a rite of passage is not uh, specific to Buffy. That happens, obviously, every all, lots of cultures throughout history. And I was wondering, Stacia, if you could tell us about some interesting rites of passage. So you're right, rites of passage um, and coming-of-age traditions are something that every culture has. We have the idea of, like, a sweet 16. And I think the U.S. in general has some, like, common ones that you see over and over again, specifically that, the quinceanera that you get for a Latino girls mm-hmm. turning 15. They have a big party where they wear a huge dress. They are rebaptized and they have a dance with their dad. It's all very sweet. It's all supposed to be very lavish. And also um, bar and bat mitzvahs for Jewish children as they're growing up. Did you know it used to only be bar mitzvahs? They made bat mitzvahs a thing in like the 50s because all organized religion hates women. I know that's a blanket statement, but it's fucking true. Anyway, it is true. continue. I actually didn't know there was one for girls. Yeah. yeah. So I thought I'd talk about some coming of age traditions that I think are particularly interesting or fun. My favorite one that I've always liked is Rumspringa. Oh, which yeah. Which is celebrated by Amish. Um, children use once you turn 16 up to 25 you have the right to leave your community that you've grown up in and experience the greater world and for some of these Amish Amish people that means getting a DVD player and buying something from Forever 21 look out other ones it means doing super hard drugs Mm -hmm. hard drugs and a lot of sex (laughs) (laughs) everyone does whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have until you turn 26 to then be baptized, to go back to your community and be baptized into your faith. The it's idea, 10 years? Yeah, well, you, you can, have... In between that time, you can... Yeah, anytime during that period. But once you turn 26, if you, you haven't recommitted, you can't come back. You're ostracized. I didn't realize I had that long. But the idea is that... Um, I mean, most of them don't leave for 10 years straight. Well, yeah, no, I get that, but that, I didn't... Like, time yeah. period to, like, like, 15's really young. That doesn't really apply yeah. anymore. It's like you're going It's to like they'll take, like, some trips yeah. out or whatever. But um, the idea is that Rumspring is supposed to help you recognize that the church is not a requirement. It's a devotion that you make. It's a choice that you make. And they hope that once you see the greater world, you realize, you know, the spirituality of the Amish people and their community is more important than... You know, the 
I sex, don't know. drugs, and violence. <laughs> yes, sex, drugs, and violence of the greater, greater world. Um, the next one is land diving. Which what? Is I'm sorry. Land diving. Oh wait, I do know about this. Uh, it's you're gonna say it. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh well, they like there's this group of indigenous people somewhere that build this t- giant tower like they build it out of sticks and shit yeah. and then they make it like four and five stories high and then somebody makes a takes a bungee cord made out of vines and straps it to the, these young men and if they don't die then uh, they're men cool yeah yep that pretty much sums it up it's um vanuatu it's a tiny little island in the south pacific um kind of in the same areas like the maldives and um Fiji, Tahiti, that area, you know, off the coast of Australia. But yeah, so basically it's a coming of age tradition specifically for boys turning to men. And they'll start doing this from the age of seven or eight in short towers. But they will just continue to do it where they... You gotta work up to it. Towers upon towers upon towers. And you should like Google this, you guys, because these towers are not what you're thinking of, which I I was thinking of as like straight and tall made out of timber. It's made out of sticks. And it looks like that kid's game where the sticks are everywhere and you try to pull them away but not let the balls fall through. It's called like Kerplunk or something. Yes, Yes, it looks like that. But I guess you crawl up and then, yeah, you tie a vine to your ankle and jump off of it there's no other safety equipment no helmets nothing else vines by the way unlike bungee cords do not stretch so if you miscalculate the length of the vine you're likely to just throw yourself onto the ground i love that this is a indictment upon the person dying saying you're not gonna you're not good enough to be a man whereas it's really an indictment on the person who, who set this line. all up yes. and did all of that because yes. you're a piece of shit and um, killed someone. yeah <laughs> Yeah, so wow. um, it's supposed to symbolize wow. boys growing into men and the ending of their childhood. Yeah, or death. ending of their life. According to the Guinness World Records, the G-force experienced by those at the like lowest point of the jump is the highest G point G-force you can experience in the non-industrialized world, like without okay. race cars. Yeah, that's yeah. like the fastest you'll ever go. So you're that it's, high, oh, yeah. That your story's high, that's and wild. so now it's still done. It's become a tourist attraction. So you can oh, go Jesus. to Vanuatu and pay $120 to watch Let them. That's fine. indigenous men throw oh. themselves off a tower. Watch them not be a part of it. No. Oh, oh no. that's fucked up. It's against the rules. You, be- you are not allowed to jump. The- if you're watching, you're part of it. No. Toss them off. <laughs> no, tourists them off. want to, and the government has said, no, this is a sacred tradition. It means something to our people, Just and you're not. Also, it's a liability. But we will take your money. But we will take your money. <laughs> well, that's so it used funny. to be done annually. Now it's done monthly, so every tourist Jesus. can uh, make this a part of their <laughs> island vacay. <laughs> Amazing. More yes. opportunities for death is all we want. Okay, so how do you know if one's oar is dirty? Somebody come by with a finger and write wash me on it? Should have double checked my vine math. <laughs> Not my fault. Yeah, you should have checked it, dummy. My vine math. The most important math. Cool. All right, I have is that two on the more. SATs? Sorry. <laughs> vine math. The next one is called Ukuli Bula. This is in southern Ethiopia. There's an indigenous tribe that lives there. Um, and essentially, the men will jump over cows completely naked four times Dope. during a huge celebration that they have to symbolize the fact that they are now men and ready to wed. Oh. If you cannot jump over your cow, mm. you cannot get married. Well, you gotta have a standard. <laughs> that yes. is a standard. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's literally, I mean, they have a lot of other stuff, I love but that's like the big deal yes. is jumping over a cow. Yeah. Uh, that's fucking hard. Can you, 
anybody who's ever been next to a cow, that seems impossible. How do you jump over a cow? Cows are fucking huge. They are. I think it's like a like a jump climb. Like you jump onto the vaulting. back instead oh. of like oh. so you're like jumping on the back doing like a couple hops on the cow. I'm not sure. Yeah. There's videos if you want to. If you go can jump over a cow, see. that's amazing. That's how you know you found a good husband, yeah. ladies. Don't marry <laughs> men that cannot jump over a cow naked. Oh, agreed. agreed. By the way, oh, it has to be, be a male cow that has been castrated. Okay. Other cows will not do. Super important. Oxen only. Yes. Satisfied? I'm not sure that's the word. The final one comes to you from the Brazilian Amazon. It is a indigenous tribe again called the Satere Mawe. But do you know what the Brazilian Amazon also has? Lots of deadly shit. But Tons continue. Lots of deadly shit. Bullet ants. Yeah. Nice. So oh, wow. this is again a coming of age. A lot of these were for men. Most of the sure. women's ones were like, "You're bleeding and you're a woman now." Yeah, Whatever. so easy. The men, the men, the men's ones are like, we're gonna scare the boyhood out of you by completely traumatizing you. you. <laughs> yes. Um. So this is basically the theme of this uh rite of passage. Basically, they go into the forest and they collect bullet ants. Bullet ants, it, for those of you that don't know, are ants that live in the Amazon. They grow up to be about an inch long, and there is a pain skill that was created by someone named Schmidt. Hey. <laughs> Um, that goes from one to four to like judge how painful a bug's bite is. A bullet ant is a four plus. Oh, so wow. higher than the scale. Wow. Should have had more numbers. I'm just going to yes. throw it yeah. out there. Yes. <laughs> so it's the um, bullet ant sting is described as incapacitating. It hurts for at least 12 hours, sometimes four, comes with paralysis and like tingling. It said, pure, intense, brilliant pain, like fire walking over flaming charcoal with a three-inch rusty nail in your hair. That's how Schmidt described this. Wow. It's awful. And they're just... It's called a bullet ant because people say it hurts as much as being shot by a bullet. Yeah. I just wanted to set the stage for you. <laughs> so, what we do is we go out into the, into the jungle, we collect these bullet ants, and we... Um, oh put them to sleep in a special like herbal mixture that makes them sleep and then we weave them into gloves and we wait for about an hour for the ants to wake up and then young boys <laughs> will then put their hands into the gloves yep. Yep. and wait for 10 minutes mm -hmm. immediately being stung the entire time and they will not cry because it's a sign of like weakness right and not only is doing this once enough, they will do it 20 times over the course of a year to prove their manhood. <laughs> do they, they have to? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's what uh, they do. <laughs> that's wild. Um, to finally like complete their initiation into manhood. The people in the tribe say it's a great way to, you know. Fuck up your hands. <laughs> yes. But to also show men that, like, they need to learn how to withstand pain and not cry and, like, be strong and take care of your family. And, but yeah. Yeah, withstand, like, tons of gunshot wounds at the yes. same time. Like, you're 50 cent. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a prerequisite to yes. be a man. Is getting shot oh hundreds God. of times. Yeah. Is that, um, like, dangerous? I, I thought if you got stung enough by certain uh, animals, like, certain insects, that you could die at the volume of, like, even ants? Did I make that up? Not I like mean, bullet? 
I didn't reading this. I didn't hear or find any information saying that it could like, be potentially lethal. It could be potentially lethal, but I do think like if your body experiences enough trauma, it could you have go shock. shock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. But and, that just means you're weak. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't mean you're Simple. weak. Men don't go into shock. <laughs> <laughs> Simple. Cast them aside. Toss them off in the woods. It's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh. So a lot of them are for men. So it's it's yeah. interesting with the Slayers because Slayers are all women. Right. Until yeah. we get yeah. to some comic stuff, it's interesting that we would have a, a woman go through this. Right. And the Christianmentum is meant less to be. Thank you very much yes, for that informative oh, dive yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, The Christianmentum is meant to be less of a physical challenge than a mental one, right? Because the whole thing is you're stripping that power, that the strength, strength, which is what the Slayer is known for, is that super strength. You're taking that away. So what do you have left? And uh, Buffy, the, the theme time and time again tends to be your friends. Well, you don't even have that. Yeah. It, no friends. No powers. What do you have? And the person that you trusted the most has betrayed you. Yeah. See that you're all betrayal. Yes. It's nothing but betrayal. That's, I mean, that's the whole theme of this episode yeah. is deception and betrayal. And it's, uh, it's really tough. The, so the Crucimentum was made by the council. Um, and I think I may have spoken this, about this before, but there's not as much lore as I want. But the lore that we have, obviously, is the Shadow Men back in Africa who created the first Slayer by taking the soul of a demon and putting it into Sinea, the first Slayer. Uh, and the Council seems to have evolved out of those, the first three Shadow Men. Um, they, at some point in history, took up residence in ye old England, and that's kind of where they said they also had hubs in other places. After the destruction of the main Council headquarters in Season 7, um, they were mostly... Uh, disbanded but there was still a few pockets a lot of their stuff got absorbed into the slayer network that buffy heads um their, their practices and stuff like that and then after the seat of magic is destroyed at the end of season eight uh the council is officially disbanded and then like ceases to exist however in the year is it 21 something or 2300 whenever Frey takes place um, there are still pockets of council members, but they're all crazy zealots. Like they're just like, oh, this this is a like this something Im- imbued to them by a god or something that they are the ones that are the keeper of this flame. And um, in fact, when uh, Malacca Frey is called, uh, a, a council member sets himself on fire to send the message of "You're the one." <laughs> so now I'm dead. So well, it's kind of like that. It's tradition. Tradition yeah. is a strong thing, and especially if you're lacking it. So you know you don't have any structures in society you don't have any way to measure certain things and if you are a certain way and have a certain mindset these things appeal very directly to you so resurrecting things from the past is totally par for the course so like making the council a thing again and wanting to be like the head of it or a part of it right means you're yeah secret societies are always interesting for people because they want to be part of them Illuminati yes (laughs) (laughs) true uh, getting back to David Fury, he has a he likes fun names like uh, our boy Mike Sure, who loves funny names. Um, so Quentin Travers came from Quentin Crisp, who was uh, who was an English writer, raconteur, and actor. Um, he died in 1999, and Pamela Lyndon Travers, who uh, wrote Mary Poppins along with other stuff. So that's where Quentin Travers come from. But he also with the Zachary Kralik thing. Um, being his nephew, he likes G and K sounds. He said, if you'll notice, we like to make a lot of demons with G and K names because I think they're the funnest. <laughs> I was like, wow. That, that's true. And I appreciate that. Big fun. Big fun. Um, David Fury says they try to juggle a lot the stories they have going on, which is interesting because I think that they fail at that. But he was mentioning specifically about bringing Amy up again, being like, oh, yeah, she's out there. Maybe one day we'll de-rat her. And I was like, you do. 
He'll get there, buddy. So I think that they, I, I must believe him, that they do think about all these things, that they do have it going on in their minds, but there's only so much they can write. He later talks about Joss Whedon and how Quentin Travers specifically, he wanted to be more of a thing. He wanted him to be more of like a father figure for Giles. He was supposed to be like this, the grandfather coming in, this early grandfather, like, you will do what the family demands and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of has that a little bit just because he's a dick and he's saying you're going to do what the council wants you to do because that's your job. Yeah. Um, but Josh, 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 I got it. But Josh said no because there wasn't really a lot of time and it's about Buffy, right? It's about yeah. Buffy and Giles. And I get that. Me I, and David Fury, apparently, really wanted to do more stories about the council. And I think you fucking could have. We could have skipped the initiative season and just done a season about the council. Yeah. That would have been great and really interesting. So on the one hand, while I understand maybe in an episode, it's tough to do that arc of a character, like make this connection with Giles that isn't actually there, uh, or try to build up this backstory of a character that we don't know at all and that just have him go away immediately. But I think that there was certainly room to do that, to explore that next season. I mean, all you had to do was plant the seed right now. Like That's Quentin Travers. He's out there in the world. The council is a real thing, not just this amorphous blob we talk about in theory. Uh, and then made, God, that would have been fucking season four. Well, I, I love they, season four, but the initiative, oh my God. They, they solved that with Wolfram and Hart. Like yeah, we, yeah, we definitely have them not only as a low boil, but they're always there. They're just constantly showing up when you think they're not there or whatever. And I think if that was the council in this, it would have been way more effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it's really fun. It's cool. And I'm not hating on Quentin Travers, but I know that motherfucker doesn't come back. So it's like, this is stupid. I hate you. Oh, it comes There's back nothing once. to do with, yeah. In like season six or something. Five, yeah. yeah. But that's about it. Yeah. I want it. I don't, I'm not here for that. Uh, it was interesting <laughs> to learn that David Fury didn't, uh, he wrote the scene between Buffy and Angel, the, um, the take my heart and warm it with your own. He, he wrote a version of that scene, but his, he said with the exception of the very opening of him, of uh, Buffy getting, receiving the book from Angel, the rest was completely rewritten by uh, Joss or party. Joss or possibly uh, David Greenwald, who was the co-show runner at the time. Uh, he said that he had a really hard time writing scenes for the two of them and got better over time, but it was almost always Joss and then later Marty that ended up doing any of those. I mean, she, he'll, he won't be on the show for a while, but um, it's, it's interesting to think that you can know these characters so well, but then he's just like, I'm a comedy writer, I can't. That's beautiful. Are taken literally incredibly gross. I was just thinking that too. As... I'm, I like learning more about the crew and the writers and everything because you can really tell, like, oh, that David Fury kind of wrote that and, and what that looks like. So it's neat to learn that he's a comedy guy. And if it's if it's mushy love stuff, it's probably Joss or Marty Knoxon. Um, other illuminating stuff about Joss Whedon, and I'm going to try to not be so cynical when I talk about this, but um, so he his favorite scene in the, sh- the episode, Joss Whedon, that is, was Buffy running powerless through the streets, screaming from, for help. He just loved the mm-hmm. idea of putting her in that position, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, not viewing it as a cynical person. Like, I too, this, that's why my, my episode, this is such a uh, favorite episode of mine, is because of we're making Buffy vulnerable. Not the specific idea of putting a woman in a spot where she's likely to be harmed, but the idea of Buffy having to, you know, just being her powers taken away. 
But yeah, you can't hear that and not take it the way that it sounds, which is I love seeing women in trouble. <laughs> I love seeing women about to be attacked. Um, another also just wasn't oh, good. It's Josh. another. It's another like uh, like I love the idea of Angel and Buffy talking, and it's about to snow, and he's going to kill himself. All of the all of the things are so heightened that it like I get why you like it. Mm-hmm. The same thing with that. I get why you like the theory, but it was it sucked. That sucked. Yeah. That was not fun to watch. No. It wasn't yeah. interesting. It was dumb. It was yeah. contrived. How did he find her? All that stuff was so dumb. I fucking hated all of it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Run to the big intersection over there in the corner. Don't get hit by a fucking car. It's really not that hard. Run. Run. <laughs> well, it was irritating on a lot of levels because no one helped her. No one helped her. Everyone that, ignored her. That car. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. You almost slammed into her. What an oh, amazing yeah. Like, yeah. scene. Like, who was even driving that? Just as on a stunt level. It was amazing. Like, yeah. it, like, jerked out at, like, the last second. I, how did they do that? I wouldn't have been amazing. convinced that she would have got... Like, I wouldn't have done that shit. Yeah. That person was not going to fucking stop. Are you kidding? Absolutely. And then Hearing... she just, instead of running, stood in the... She stood until Giles saved her. Yeah. It was horrible. But, yeah, hearing that Joss thought that was his favorite scene, I feel like underlines the problem I have with this episode, which is he liked to see Buffy in a helpless situation. Yes. But the thing that I thought was interesting about it was really just one line when she was like, maybe my calling's a wrong number, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to feel about that. And I thought that was a lot more interesting, because we have years of her being like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And then the moment it's taken away from her, and she's like, actually, I think I do, though. Like, I don't know how to not be the Slayer anymore. Angel, if I'm not the Slayer, what do I do? What do I have to offer? Why would you like me? But it's completely then like, and then we're over it. And also she's helpless still. It's <laughs> a great point. A lot Weak of, blonde girl. <laughs> a lot of great, like, like you even alluded to, like there's so many really fun breaks in this episode, but it's not a memorable enough episode to like encapsulate it all. I don't think this is a good episode of TV. I think that it's carried by Sarah Michelle Gellar and Anthony Stewart head. If it wasn't for the two of them, this is one of the worst episodes of the show. And, but it's funny because so much is important. Like I think your point right there, bringing up, that she was going to give all this away and that she wants to keep doing it. And the fact that there's going to be this irrevocable break over, over the course of the whole show are all sort of encapsulated here awkwardly mm-hmm. in this episode. That's completely forgettable, but the storylines are indelible, weird, fucking weird. And maybe that's why Joss likes it because while you're sitting around in a writer's room, this becomes like a really pivotal moment, but man, I don't know. It, doesn't really play off on the screen at well, all if it wasn't for those two actors. Uh, in the original draft of the script that David Fury made, he wanted the firing to happen in the second act. Like, basically right when Quentin oh. gets there, like, the, so she finds out or, you know, it's Well, he could have fired him right when uh, they were in the room together, when he was getting the cup of tea or whatever. He's right, like, yeah. oh, I'm leaving. And he's like, you're fired. Yeah. yeah, I think that would have been a little more effective. This isn't then, business. Because then Giles is like, well, I could just leave. But of course he wouldn't because right. we know he won't. And then he saves the day. But yeah, he's fired. And then that doesn't change. That would have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. See, I disagree. I don't because, know and the reason why Joss, Joss is the one who changed it is because that, that moment is huge. I think that's what you need to leave with. Like, Because everything's still up in the air, Buffy is still powerless in that moment. She just like finished this terrible ordeal. It's like... Oh, yeah, one last gutting thing. Giles, you're fired by. I don't know. It's huge as a story plot point, but it would have been better. I don't know that it's gutting. I never found it that way. It was actually weirdly ungutting. Yeah. Like, she didn't really... No one cared. I mean, he... 
Giles has always been irrelevant to the council, right? He's like, must the Cotswolds, like, I, I love the rowing or whatever. Like, he's sad he's not invited. And we've already talked about how it's yeah. so frustrating. Like, he's the watcher of the Slayer. No one cares. So for them to just unceremoniously fire him, of course they would. They don't care about him anyways. Yeah. Well, I think that just... As a I, plot point, it's good. But no, I, I don't think... You can say it's fine where it was, but it would have been just as fine in the middle of the second act. Because in the end, the plot point was important. Firing Giles was great because ooh, Wesley's introduction was fine. But what didn't matter which, what point. I think if he got fired in the second act, but Buffy didn't know until the end. Totally. That would be That would be cool. Because then it would be like yet another yeah. example of how Giles is doing this because he loves Buffy, not because yeah. he's supposed oh, 100%. to. Yeah. yeah, no, she can't know until right. the end. Right, okay. Absolutely. And that's what I was thinking. I think it's just because like that was heaped onto Buffy is how I was looking at it, not necessarily in the, as the character of Giles or the other pieces in the, the And episode. this is another point where you could have had Giles, uh, because we have the crazy, scary like um, horror music, essentially, when he was drugging her. Mm-hmm. And, and, oh, my God, I know that smile, Anthony Sirhead, Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to believe that he, he actually does care and he doesn't really like this and all of that. But if he got fired in the second act and maybe made it seem like he was going to leave and like, oh, this is a mm-hmm. chance for me to start over, I can leave for good, then maybe his showing up at the place, saving Buffy, you know, when he comes back or whatever, when he shows up, would have been, a, I mean, it would have been predictable, of course, because we know Giles, but it still would have been somewhat a surprise because mm-hmm. we knew Giles was going to show up. We knew mm-hmm. he was going to save the day in whatever way he was going to. Yeah. But at least you could have had a thread. Oh, sorry. Did I zone out on you? Just, I'm nursing that flu bug. It's best to take care of that. Perhaps we should, um... Call it a night. Yeah, that's a good idea. Thanks. Good night. Um, and I think this episode had a ton of moments like that. I mean, I brought it before when we were talking about Joyce. A simple little thing like her uh, tapping our bad guy um, when she... Oh, when he right, was, when he's on the doorstep. When he was laying on the doorstep. How... Joyce is a bad mom alert, doesn't know the outline of her daughter's body. <laughs> so goes yeah. over there She'd and like... way bigger than Buffy, right? Come on, that, she'd just be like, there's no way. That coat is not the size of this guy. No. But either way, I, 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 the, the moment she walked out there, I thought she was going to go and say, come inside. Just say yeah. to this amorphous, come inside. And then when he turns around and it's him, run inside because that's where the safety is. Right. But to have him wake up, you know, get up and be like, oh, you just invited me inside. Whoops. That would have been way more menacing. Yeah. That would have been way yeah. more menacing. And it would have I made thought sense. that's what was going to happen too. Because the moment Joyce knows enough, she knows the rules enough that when she saw that it was not Buffy underneath there, trouble. Yeah. Run inside. You have to and at you this know point. You have rule. to know at this point. Yeah. And she does know the rule. And so I think that was a huge, like little tiny missed yeah. opportunity, but I think mm-hmm. really adds up. It adds up over time. David Fury on Joyce. I love writing for Joyce. She keeps the show grounded. <laughs> I, I see why they think that. I see why yeah. they think that. Well, really because do. he, he uh, backed that up by saying the whole shit. It's like Buffy and her mom against the world. It's supposed to be, you know, but it, it's not really. Like, it's. They had an idea. Somebody somebody was sitting around. They were all drinking, smoking, whatever they were doing. Somebody said, hey, wouldn't it be really cool to have a room full of Polaroids? Let's base an episode around that. That's literally, <laughs> it was for the shot. Well, it was, it so was for the shot. It's that funny shot that was... you say that because at the very beginning of the episode, he's like, oh, the Polaroids, was that my idea? I think it was my idea. And then later in the episode, he's like, yeah, the Polaroids were my idea. I don't remember where I got that from, yeah. though. <laughs> so... Some random serial killer movie <laughs> yeah. he I have no problem with like um, writing something for a shot like that because it was stunning. It was a really beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. But it begs the question, 
how the fuck did this guy get this much film? How the fuck did he that. put it up? What is happening? Oh my god! Because they're, it's, okay, that's that's let's serial say, killer let's say shit on the low that's end. A hundred, a hundred Polaroids with a hundred pieces of that's tape. A thousand. Yeah, yeah, it's so much. There's, mm-hmm. there's no. This is all taking space and in the same all night, right? Like, they're all choice. <laughs> How many different poses? They, they, they did took. show him and just like click, 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 click. He would have yeah. had to. Yeah. yeah. But seriously, after some point. What Walmart like, did he fucking roll up into to get this camera and all this film? I guess the uh, darker question is if they weren't all joyous, what happened to the other women? Dun, dun, oh. dun. Couple more things about Joss. His comments in the episode to David Fury. Uh, this is a quote from David Fury. A lot of the mother things, the mother, not other things, mother things were Joss. He always likes to write that stuff. Sick, twisted mother-son relationships, which we do definitely see in this show over and over again. Most of our male protagonists have bad or non-existent relationships with their mothers. To be fair, all of the Scoobies have terrible relationships with their parents. You know, and I that was actually fine. Like, yeah. And because I, another thing that made this episode great was our main bad guy. He was great. I love that guy. I don't know who Kralik? he is. Kralik. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's fantastic. And I think just him, like, he was funny. Like, that was funny. He was just like, I don't really like my mom or whatever. Yeah. Just like, the <laughs> whole interaction there was really great. I have yeah. problems with it. was really good for yeah. what it's worth. Like, you know, It was I don't creepy know. And, and it served a purpose. I just thought it was interesting. It gives you a little more yeah. insight into Joss Whedon. Because like, clearly we do the thing with Spike in season seven where he's tormented by his mom, the song she used to sing to him. Yeah. Early one morning, the sun was something brightly shining. Right? Mm-hmm. Remember? I do no, remember. I yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and like his, I, I wonder what I, kind of relationship he had with his mom. I only ever remember reading stuff where he's like, my mom was a proud feminist. She was a strong woman. Uh, and she died. Like, See, I think but, like a Freudian reading is so hard because honestly, it, I think it's just playing to kind of easy tropes. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, parenting stuff is always really simple. It's just an easy way I mean, to pass off. Hitchcock did it a lot years of stuff. Ago. Yeah. So, so I, 80, it's fine. Right. Right. did it. Yeah. Yeah. Hundreds of years ago. And yeah, and it's just a thing. So I mean, I don't think you can really read a personal tale on mm-hmm. on Joss per se, but like it sells. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, there's enough people out there that have shitty moms and dads. I mean and, and I think that's probably part of it too. It's like we think of ourselves as shitty mom and dads and it's like everything just roils into one big ball. So it's easy to watch something and be like, Yeah, man, fuck fuck my dad, fuck mom, fuck Yeah. You know, it, that's probably one of the oldest yeah, story tropes that there is. It's easy and yeah. it's effective. I mean, it it's is. creepy quick. Uh, the the cross thing was the other Joss Whedon idea that was added, which was when Kraylik's basically having an orgasm when he's touched with the cross. Actually, I do have a date. Older man, very handsome, likes it when I call him daddy. Your father. It is your father, right? He's taking me to the ice show. <sighs> it should be big fun. Ooh, that was rough. That was rough. Yeah. That was rough. <laughs> And that kind of, we talked about the cross just the other day. Is it the person throwing it at? You know, it's the intention. It's like a knife. Mm-hmm. You know, you're pulling it on them. Right. So she pulled the knife on him and he's just like, get that knife right down here. That's <laughs> yeah. good stuff. Because uh, it's fucking crazy. A little lower. <laughs> very, very bad. But also a very effective. I, mm-hmm. I did not hate that as much as I thought I would when it started. It felt it like fun. very much like the exorcist moment, if you guys have seen that movie. Oh, doesn't yes. she like masturbate with a cross? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably what they were going for. Because it was such a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something we got to acknowledge. This is something, yeah, Buffy it was creeps great. into more of a horror space than we see in a lot of episodes. Oh, yeah. Did David Fury mention that? Because this is nothing. He, he didn't direct it, obviously. But like, 
surely he should have known this is a horror episode. Yeah. That is what this is. You are using the tropes of horror. If I was watching this on that shitty four by three, you know, DVD cut instead of the one that I have, I wouldn't have been able to see anything. It's so dark. Mm -hmm. It's so ominous. The music is so good. horror episode this is fantastic that's why i love it i think it's i think kralik is the most terrifying i mean angel in theory on-screen angel and theoretical angel i think are a little um different but he's certainly menacing but i think kralik takes it to an actual scary level that i you feel more viscerally like than um i did with angel who's the other scariest villain i can think of um because i think the masters the other scariest villain i can think of i argued i was like there's no way kralik is the scariest and she was like, no, the moment Kralik can, he kills someone. And I'm like, doesn't Angelus? Yeah, true. It's true. Mm. Yes. What well, also did other things that horror shows do, which is like she had a fucking stake in her hand and then fucking just dropped it and right, kept yeah. running. Mm-hmm. She jumped through a laundry chute. I mean, are we not going to acknowledge another <laughs> moment of someone jumping through something? It's fucking amazing. It just like goes downstairs and like, hey, mom, how's it going? Yeah, he and acknowledged. she had time to pour the holy water, which I still don't understand how quote, that happened. Somehow it's there. She put a glass of water and knew he would go for it and drink it. Don't ask me how. It's not so girly. Ice is cool. It's water, but it's not. Good, good. That, that is some honesty that I am looking for. Well, and even multiple times throughout the episode, he's like, I definitely wanted this to be terrifying. Like, I wanted more gore and more blood, like, everywhere. I wanted this to look like this fucking guy doesn't just kill you. He tears you apart. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, I can only do so much. You know, and specifically the scene where we get Hob or Blaine or whatever the fuck yeah. his name is. And you just see, like, an arm and there's blades. Like, that was supposed to be, like, everywhere, like, I will say, this is the most blood in any episode so far. Yeah. Like, and that moment where Giles goes in there and touches the blood, and that, like, click, click noise. I'll put it underneath, because, like, it's fucking so good. Like, click, click, click. Hmm. And just, like, walking through. It's not like a snap finger, but it's, like, I don't know what it is. It's just, like, a click, 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 click. It's very scary. And then, obviously... Kralik's humming and stuff and like he Scary. and he admitted multiple times like I know this is not original like these I did this stuff intentionally like I, I've seen this in other things mm-hmm. before but it doesn't not make it scary mm-hmm. like that was the whole point I think he did a great job he also kept mentioning he wanted a bigger house like it was supposed to really be sprawling like almost a mansion she was running through to get the house though well it was only a couple of sets yeah but I mean she popped up there and was like looking down a really long hallway they yeah. didn't they did really well with the size I thought oh, I it was too did. big I, yeah but he, I guess he just wanted the more of a chase than... But where else. would this house be? Yeah, I'm Prescott Lane. sunny day. Duh. You bastard. All this time you saw what it was doing to me. All this time and you didn't say a word. I wanted to. Liar. In matters of tradition and protocol, I must answer to the council. My role in this was very specific. Right um, next to the pier... Yeah, right? I mean, is this getting some some ocean, you know, views? I mean, what's going on here? Um, So I wanted just a a couple more things about uh, the writing process. So this was interesting to learn that it takes about two weeks, he said, from a story idea to the final script. So basically, the writers will have an idea as a group, and they'll make a kind of a draft, uh, or at least a really good story outline together, and then Joss uh, or whomever this 
and whomever the showrunner is at the time, so it was David Greenwalt at this present episode, but then would later be Marty Knoxon, uh, make what's called a beat sheet. So basically the points they actually mm. really want to hit or flush out. Uh, they give it back to the writers, and then they make the entire script. Joss goes over it again, or whomever's the showrunner at the time, and then uh, the actors get it. The actors usually don't get it until about one to three days before they actually start shooting. Um, and they, at this point in the show, he said they don't even do table reads. Like, they stopped doing it basically after the first season. He's like, because the characters know each other. Like, they know their characters so well, they, the actors don't need to have the script. There. But it was, it was interesting to know that it's two weeks from the second, from the inception of the idea to when the script is. So once they actually start writing, it's usually now in the fifth season, being now, uh, five days that they get, get them turned around. So, yeah. Well, I'd recommend intense. anybody interested in that stuff go online and like Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan and their team. They put a camera in there so you can actually view some moments of them going through breaking the story down of certain segments, whatever season you're watching for Breaking Bad and for Saul. And they do a podcast where they talk about the same stuff, hmm. which would be oh, fascinating to have today, you know, because it is DVD commentary. But they get, you know, whoever they get Saul or they get, yeah. uh, you know, Odenkirk or whoever uh, in to talk about their acting on the episode but also get the writers in to talk about how they wrote it and did everything how they broke it all that stuff so if you're interested in that stuff i think anything breaking bad gilligan related they're so open about their process uh that's fascinating yeah and that's really cool because yeah the actors get it so quick i mean they get it mm-hmm. right there and they have to learn it they have to go well even like lauded sarah michelle gallery was like this he admitted the same thing you mentioned earlier which is like this tony head and uh sarah just amazing sarah's always amazing yeah. like and I bet I mean, it's really was nice. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so one last thing to bring us back into the episode and away from David Fury commentary land, which if you have the DVDs, I suggest you definitely listen to it because it's really cool. Um, fans did not like the holy water trick. Apparently, this is per David Fury's feedback he received, and also other feedback he got from either fans or critics was that the episode was almost great. Uh, yep. All right. They didn't like the fact that there wasn't enough Scooby time and that they weren't... They didn't like the horror element. They didn't like the coolest oh, thing about stupid. the episode. <laughs> I was like, that's stupid. Holy water. For me, I think that was super ingenious. How it happened, aside, like yeah. the, the actual mechanics of it, but like... It shocked me. I wasn't ready It's for so it. fucking cool. And I don't understand why people would be mad at it because I think it would totally work mm-hmm. because the only other times we've ever seen holy water, it's literally setting them aflame. Mm-hmm. So why... It makes sense to me that it wouldn't, like, you know, fucking burn you from the inside. Yeah. He was disappointed how the actual effect turned out because it ended up just looking like somebody being staked. Same exact animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted more like an acid-eating-away fire from the inside kind of thing. But you can only do what you can do. But I think the concept is really cool, and I don't know how you would do it, but being able to do it, again, would have been neat. But I also just think about Bordello of Blood and the super soakers full of holy water and why the fuck don't we do that? But yeah. Before I was the Slayer, I was... Well, I, I don't want to say shallow, but let's say a certain person who will remain nameless. We'll just call her Spordelia. Looked like a classical philosopher next to me. I think it's time that we yell some shit about this episode. Have some feelings. You ready, Daniel? You can start. This episode begins with Buffy and Angel having sex fighting. And... Sex fighting? And she jumps on top of him... And asks if he's satisfied. Strike me as a woman who has never been satisfied. I'm sure I don't know what you mean. You forget yourself. You're like me. I'm never satisfied. Is that right? I've never been satisfied. And this episode's called Helpless. And Helpless to Satisfied is some Hamilton shit. (laughs) Lin-Manuel Miranda and Sarah Michelle Gellar 
are friends. And if you search them online, you can watch them have long Twitter conversations where they just share gifts back and forth about Buffy and Hamilton. Did he get the helpless, satisfied songs from this episode? Who knows? Probably. So I think. To piggyback on that, what the fuck are Buffy and Angel doing with three baguettes? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with three fucking baguettes? Where are these baguettes at? Where are the baguettes? On the table. There's like a spread with grapes and shit. Three. Mm -hmm. I don't think baguettes. it was on a table. I'm pretty sure there was a blanket on the floor. Okay. And it was baguettes and like some grapes. Yes. Amazing. Like they were having like a floor notice. picnic and then just started like <laughs> sex fighting and then she staked him with a baguette. Sex yes. fighting, a new thing. Yes. yes. Okay. Sisha? Um, Cuernavaca is in Mexico. Damn it. I was going to jump on that. <laughs> I was going to look up more. It's... Did, I was hoping you would do Cuernavaca vibes. Well, you know, I'm way off my game. My game's out the country. My game's in Cuernavaca. <laughs> it's, it's the capital of Morelos, the... The state of uh, in Mexico, hmm. south of Mexico City, and all I got is that it's the city of Eternal Spring. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's more than we got. Yeah, built that uh, you can go to the Palace of Cortez, built yes. in 1535. There's yeah. also a kite museum. I didn't get enough information. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Not as usually put together as. <laughs> no. You brought up the the beginning of this episode. The beginning of this episode was incredibly jarring because it started with Buffy and Angel sex fighting uh, together. Mm-hmm. And then it cut hard cut to her out with her big oversized rain jacket fighting a vampire. Vampire takes her over and is like, I'm going to stake you. And then we cut to the theme song. And then we cut back to Angel or to Buffy then taking over the vampire and killing the vampire. And then we cut to the next hard cut Mm -hmm. to the next day in school. There's a lot of cuts at the beginning. I was really nervous beginning this episode that this was going to be really disjointed it's kind of surprising that this is one of the more focused episodes maybe the show has ever done yeah i think that but it, whoa, all that those, intro those was cuts were bad. intentional i think it's like buffy's fucked up so we're gonna feel a little fucked up but i, I don't know. know but the beginning's not really fucked up it's like daddy jokes and wanting to go to the ice capades yeah, and sex fighting that had nothing to do with like her having this problem with uh trying to kill the vampire like that was the crux but it was weird that because they don't do that a lot they don't cut to the credits and then come back to the same, same scene. scene yeah true. that was very weird and then just cut to, to school yeah and the cut to school makes sense like i i'm throwing knives and i don't know what i'm doing right but what's up with the sex fighting and stop know. saying daddy <laughs> oh my god yeah most importantly oh yeah i mean we kind of already said this but hank's quarterly projections are unraveling that what the fuck is that that's like saying some synergy b2b well i'm just saying words that mean business <laughs> And also, it's a fucking lie. He definitely has another relationship and another kid. Oh, yeah. He has a secret family. Does it have to be secret? It does. Um, Piggybacking off of that, when Joyce, after she was like, yeah, your dad left the ice capade tickets behind for you. I could get someone to cover for me at the gallery. You already should have Joyce. Her dad already abandoned her. And now you're just going to go to work and leave her alone on her birthday? Yeah, I was going to leave that to the ranking. But absolutely, what is wrong with you? You don't ask if your kid wants you to take her somewhere on her fucking birthday. You just do it, Joyce. <sighs> Mad. Bad mom. Bad mom <laughs> alert. All I could think of when she brought up Brian Boitano is South Park. I know. The movie. What would Brian Boitano do if, if he, he were here, here right now? now he'd probably kick, kick an ass or two. two. That's, That's what Brian, Brian Boitano do. do. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> that was a big part of my uh, adolescent boy. Me like, as well. Life. It, my boy life, yes. It was, yes. Mine. It was part of my rite of passage. <laughs> I'm forced say. to watch the South Park movie on repeat. Was uh, it bigger, longer, uncut? That was the big one, right? Yeah, that was yeah. that. Okay. Uh, Willow's fucking hat in general fashion. Yeah. 
It's just awful. There's two hats. Both are terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's like a beanie style hat. One's like a bucket style hat. And they're mm-hmm. just both awful. I thought we moved past this. Like this is season three. What's You're worse? Some season one and two garbage. Buffy's bomb hat or that hat? Both of those are worse. I, I would take Buffy's little bomb hat any day. Oh, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Who are you? How could you do this to me? I am deeply sorry, Buffy, and you have to understand. If you touch me, I'll kill you. Um, the hypnotizing rock made me think of that moment in Narnia when the fawn is like, come into my house. Ooh, I have a fire. Ooh, let me play a flute for you. Ooh, you're hypnotized. Now I'm going to take you to the queen so she can turn you into a stone statue. Except now I feel guilty and I'm not going to. You should go home. (laughs) It was like that weird moment where you see him and he like smiles and you're like, ooh, this guy's a villain. And like she's hypnotized and she can't do anything. And you have that moment with Giles too where you're like, Buffy is out out of town. She's (laughs) left the building. That was great. That was really well done. And And I was scared about Giles. That was great. Yes. Uh, Who is the guy that assaults Cordelia and then physically like assault and battery Mm -hmm. on Buffy? Like that's some... Sunnydale PD shit. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, remember me? I'm the guy that threw my stepdad off the fucking uh, Stairs. staircase. And then I, you also <laughs> interviewed me about the dead kids that didn't really exist. And then and, the whole town went crazy. And you also interviewed me when my Slayer friend was murdered in the library and I was the only suspect. <laughs> right, right. right. But, but also I just got assaulted. Uh, believe me, please. I'm a, I'm a believable character. Who yeah, was that guy? That guy? I don't think we've seen that That guy yet. was insane. The worst. The yeah. worst. Does anyone else get like a Steven Tyler vibe from Jeff Kober? Especially as Rack. He's just like this weird spindly, like, you just see him with many scarves. Anyone else? No? Just me? No. <laughs> Let, that, Let that ride. That's just you. <laughs> We're learning a lot about you. <laughs> um, the entire, I'm just going to yell about a thing in general. Not a specific moment in the show, but it really irritates me, and I blame you, Joss, completely because you have a problem with strong women, even though you pretend to like strong women, which is you create a Slayer character because I wanted a superhero who was a girl who'd never think is a superhero because haha, women can't be superheroes. And then you give her her power, which is given to her by men, and maybe that hasn't been decided yet at this point, but it's given to her by a council of men, and a council of men take it away from her. Mm-hmm. Buffy, I know you are definitely, without a doubt, gonna get your powers back. Thanks, Will. But what if you don't? It's not okay. And then especially to have this moment where Joss essentially knocks her out so she cannot consent to him poisoning her by literally penetrating her body with a needle. All of this is so incredibly messed up. And then for Joss to be like, my favorite scene was when she was screaming, help me. Like, there's so many levels of wrong to this episode that just infuriate me, like, in turns. It just makes me angrier and angrier. So uh, just to, like, encapsulate that in a moment in the show is when um, Buffy says, I throw knives like, and then Joyla said, a girl? As if it was a bad thing. The Slayer is a girl. A girl throws knives like the Slayer. And we could have (laughs) said, like like a human, because you're a Slayer. (laughs) Or just like... Or like a Giles. You probably would throw the same. Like Xander? Like a Xander. (laughs) Like, just like, let's throw a cutting cutting remark where it deserves. (laughs) Oh, uh, a note on Xander from David Fury. Oh, no. Anything we can do to make Xander look foolish and weak. But follows up with, we love Xander. He's the character I relate to most. Feel better when I get my strength back. Give you a hand with that, little lady? You're loving this far too much. Admit it, sometimes you just need a big, strong man. (laughs) 
Oh, Will, give me a hand with that. I mean, that's how I feel. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's pathetic, but he's definitely, but he has that every character, you know, that he's written yeah. like that. Right. It's like you can't help but he's see He's meant through. to be like the yeah. cipher for the audience. But I mean, it's true. He's, but yeah, no, I think you're totally right. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, Joss definitely has a fucked up relationship with women and sex and his mom, apparently, and just like a lot of, a lot of shit. And women and sex and his mom, and it's all a gross little circle. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Daniel, do you have anything to yell? We talk a lot on this episode about Joyce, as we know, but we also talk a lot about Angel and Buffy. We get never forget Angel's a pedophile. In case you forgot, we rehashed the part where well, he was scanning okay. on her at fifteen. We did, and you know, again, the show wants its self awareness, and it does this stuff for self awareness, and a lot of shows do this because they need to wink, wink that they know what they're saying, but. I don't think they really do. They have ne- they don't they're never going to grapple with this. It's super gross. It's never not going to be gross, but they want it to be like we get it. He's an old guy. <laughs> She's a young girl. It's gross, but it's love. Like as if true love like trumps all. It's like no, that's not the way that that works. Sorry. Nope. Cool. RIP Hobson and Blair. We didn't know you. You're looking oh, at me like, who the, the fuck are Hobson and Blair? I love that we didn't know them so much. Daniel was like, who? <laughs> uh, I gotta go to the hardware store, boss. I gotta, uh, oh, yeah, okay. See ya. Bye. Yeah, I'm getting your pills. Just a second. Yeah, chill out. <laughs> that's it. That's all I got. Uh, Spordelia. Spordelia. R.I.P. <laughs> oh, she is really dead. That's sad. Hey, sweet girl, how much for a lap dance for me and my buddy? What? <laughs> I raged at this point. I was so mad. And the fact that Joss loves this, it makes me, infuri- it infuriates me. What town are we fucking in? Where is Buffy? Obviously, Prescott Avenue is like a thing. So maybe she's on that. Why is she walking alone at night? What? Like, where did this come from? She she's left trying the- to go home. Do you left Angel's place and she was going home? And they just walk. They just all walk now. Have you ever seen them in a car that wasn't driven by Joyce or Giles? This is the suburbs. <laughs> Who the fuck are these people? Sunnydale is very small, as we know. You just it's have small to walk and large at the same the time. The warehouse district, the Ferris wheel, the pier, the block. It's Main big Street, enough. It's big enough to bronze. run and go underneath a chain link fence down a long alleyway. There's a huge intersection which looks like two lane traffic going both ways, mm-hmm. just up the road. Run up just up the road. No, she said she almost dies multiple times oh, yeah. by getting run over by a car, mm-hmm. and Giles comes up and saves her. Uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the reappearance of Buffy's depression overalls because she might be sad, but she still has to kick ass. <laughs> she did. She did rock those depression overalls. The only final thing I've got just relates to Joyce. The rest of the Joyce stuff that I can uh, name. How awkward is it to talk shop at the very end with Joyce just hanging around as they're talking about Giles? Joyce, get the fuck out of here. Make the pancakes. Get the fuck out. In fact, we'll make the pancakes. You don't know how. See you later. Uh, I love that she was like making dinner presumably for herself. She was never going to give Buffy food when uh, Buffy came in for the first time to find her you know the flowers and, mm-hmm. the, and the, she was just making dinner for herself oh yeah oh, and I was ever, like there's nothing in that pot there's nothing in that pot <laughs> absolutely and then later we see her um, uh, signing checks as if she's got to pay those bills she's not paying those bills Stacia I was like all she's thinking about is bills 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 that's right <laughs> dreaming about bills don't worry about it I was dreaming about bills and then Buffy said that I was just thinking that we should have a nice and quiet birthday 
And then I was thinking, Joyce is thinking, good, because I had nothing planned <laughs> for you. Regardless, there's no dinner in here. I don't care when you were actually born. I don't know what your outline looks like. I know nothing about you. In fact, enjoy rescuing me on your birthday later. We never really talk about a birthday again. It is her birthday. We never then go back to it because we never talk about it again. Right? Like in the show or in this episode? In this episode. It's, oh, yeah, no. That, it is her birthday, right? That's oh, yeah. the thing. The birth of the buff. It's her birthday. <laughs> she goes off to save her mom. They talk shop at the end. The episode's over. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. She didn't even go to the ice show. No, no. big fun for her. No. Yeah, no. It's real sad. It's real sad. Buffy has a tough life. Is it red kryptonite or is it gold kryptonite? I'm going to tell you real fast what it is. Green. Green kryptonite. Guess what? That's the classic most common one. Just weakens and can kill krypto- kryptonians. Kryptons. Who knows? Uh, red weakens and causes mood swings slash mutations. Blue acts like green kryptonite, but only on Bizarro Superman. White kills plants. Gold removes powers permanently. Silver causes hallucinations. Black splits kryptonians into two people. One good, one evil. Orange gives animals superpowers. Periwinkle, that's fucking right, makes Superman loses inhibitions. One could say whiskey could achieve the same thing. There's also X-Kryptonite, which gives people and creatures superpowers. See Orange Kryptonite. And Anti-Kryptonite, which is no effects on Kryptonians, but... No effects? Kills people. I left one out, though. Pink Kryptonite. Which makes Superman gay. That is a real... Pink Kryptonite? True... Canonical. I was just DC thinking universe. this is like the pre- pride rainbow of crypto. Yeah, that's yeah. so much. Periwinkle out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's from they were David Fury. Out of colors. <laughs> no, no. Or you just looked it up. Yeah, this there. is like the actual DC things that have happened oh, in canon. Yeah. Man, there's only one kryptonite for me, baby. Superman one, the, some of the worst movies of all time. Oh yeah, it's classic green, classic green kryptonite. What's wrong with yep. this world? Fucking. Oh my god, I didn't know there were twelve of them. All I got left are the watches. Xander, yes. button down, tank top watch. Did not happen. He did have a button down in two different scenes. One with the sweater over it and one uh, at the end. But no. All I wrote was, did you see Willow's hat? We talked <laughs> about Willow's hat. <laughs> maroon jacket that watch. That was the right response. <laughs> no maroon jacket as far it as I can tell. It was a red coat. Yeah, the a little red who? riding hood coat. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, the, the red coat. Wore. That's a very nice coat. And then uh, Kralik wore. <laughs> yes, yes. With Once the outline you see of the you put it on, you'll know. If if you put it on, you have the outline of Buffy. That's just the way that coat yep. works. It's it's wonderful. That's not what it, it will yeah. happen this season though. Giles and Oz, it's still inconclusive. They <laughs> she, they did share a scene. It's not Wesley Watch. Wait for it. Wait for it. Two episodes. Uh, Devin Watch. No. He's no, the I know. God, we saw him like Bronze four in episodes in a row, and now no Buffy Bang Watch. How's her hair going? It's been great. Yes. They really figured it out. They have it parted, uh, you know, kind of at her hairline, the corner of her hairline, and uh, it's, she it looks, looks good. good. Yeah. She looks good. Yeah. Deputy Mayor Alan Finch Watch. No, oh. but we do get another foreshadowing with the stake on uh, when the vampire puts it to sure, uh, yeah. Buffy's uh, Buffy's heart and asks if he's doing it right. Another good. I don't know. It's like, it's really good. I'm yeah. really into, I don't know if they're really planning for it, but it's really The foreshadowing of Well for me. Yeah. yeah. Streets Ahead. I did not pick up on Prescott Street. Prescott Lane. Prescott Lane. For posterity. Is definitely a thing. So we're up to five streets now. We've God, got Crawford, Ravello, Maple Court, Sycamore, and Prescott, and potentially Kingman Bluffs Road. Or right. Whatever, yeah, yeah. Which does not actually count. And Giles' most dangerous KO. Didn't Currently, get knocked out. He, did, he didn't get knocked out. 
what's the worst that happened in him into this episode? Probably just being uh, scorned by fired by Buffy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his ego took a hit probably multiple times. He had a tussle with a vampire, but so currently still being bludgeoned by Gwen Post. Yep. Number one, that's gonna be the number one for a while. So I don't know. Do we need to initiate any new watches or? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. We're about to fulfill some of these. So we we'll have to think of more. Soon. What's the watch coming up? All right. I think it's time to rank this sucker. If no one has any protestations. So this was tough for me. Everybody knows I game the system. I did my best because I really enjoyed this episode. Um, along with Forever and Conversations with Dead People. I think these are those three episodes are the only time Buffy really gets scary. Scary. Um, and I well, think, Hush, too. Oh, true. Yeah, true. Hush have the best bad guys, but I don't know about scary. They definitely had a creep factor to them. But, but um, Forever is a good one. I never think of that as a horror, but it truly Oh, yeah. Joyce did. Dawn and Joyce coming back is, is like so unbelievably cool. scary. Um, and I think Kralik is fucking fantastic. Um, the the whole theme of this episode is, that is, is deception and betrayal. And the Little Red Riding Hood thing was intentional by mm-hmm. David Fury. Apparently, he didn't write in the script anywhere that she needed to wear that red hood. Either Joss told the um, clothing department or they picked up on it themselves. But, um, I mean, the whole idea of, of everything you know is a lie. These people that you, you put all your trust into can turn on a dime and, and fuck up your whole life and... I, I just think it's super powerful. Every scene with Buffy and Giles is just heartrending. It, it's it's just, I love it. But there aren't a lot of opportunities for my scoring system to make this episode succeed in the ways in which I want. Speaking of Willow hacks, ah. Willow doesn't exist in this episode. So I had I was like Willow's well, hat. <laughs> Willow's hat. Willow hats. Two thousand points. <laughs> I should have done that. I should have done That's that. So a smarter you person. You can still do it. It's, it has not been. We're not live. No, I already. Willow has. She talks about the net. <laughs> yes. Ten, ten of ten. <laughs> Man. Uh, you're much cleverer than me, Willow Hats. As it as the person I am, who is not that clever, I kept it the same, and I just lied and said that Giles using magic crystals counted as something, so I gave it a six instead of a five. Uh, oh my god! Joyce is a terrible mom. I only took her down to a three again. I had to make it work, but we, she wasn't particularly bad. It's the most egregious thing. Well, getting kidnapped because she knows the rules <laughs> and she dumb. fucking knows better, and that shouldn't have happened. She was paying the bills theoretically, and she so. was helping them make sandwiches at the end. Okay. Well, and you gotta think she was making Buffy dinner that moment it's like all right we'll get see, she might get some fucking crumbs the, and the biggest thing was not taking her to the ice show not like asking if she wanted to go or putting like i really don't want to take off a of work buffy uh-huh. but i guess if i have to get somebody at the gallery <laughs> the fucking gallery that but, i but, work at <laughs> with so, my co-workers i still had to take her down a couple notches for that even even with my trickery so yeah. three uh big bad again cray like i love him 10 to 10, 10 easy to 10. because mm-hmm. not only Classic. um is he terrifying, the character of? But I also love the his face makeup looks flawless. And for how many speaking, like how many lines he has, you can't tell for a second that he's really impeded. He has a little bit of the lisp because of the fangs, but like I think it's so well done. And his lips are like really cracked and chapped, and like he just looks fucking crazy. And personality he has a personality mm-hmm. that's that does not come often with uh, some of our big bats. For sure. So I think easy ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where. The, all the, the contention kind of is between our relationships and Giles. So uh, I, you don't want to double ding. Like it's not, 
And I also completely fucking lied on this anyway. So Trials, I gave a nine. And it's it's hard because hurting Buffy is the most un-Giles thing that he can do, I would think. But you got the Giles mobile, so you get a point there. He went all ripper on Travers. But also he is so conflicted about the council. He is. But he's such a, he is such a patsy for power, but he wants to fight against it. That's that punk element, that ripper element. Right. But for some reason that we don't know of, he, he's become this middle-aged, boring man who now is starting to, through Buffy and her friends, rebel, but kind of gain back that confidence from him being in his 20s that we got to see in Band Candy. I find it amazing because when he was going through that horror house, he fucking got the blood and then was like, boom, ripped off the fucking uh, stairwell. Yeah, for a to make a stake. Like, he has got Ripper inside of him, but he's become such a fucking sycophant for for the council and for power for whatever reason. We don't really know. Yeah, that's true. So I don't think it's against Giles at all. I think him being, him rebelling against it and also being so for it are very Giles. Well, that's where I came around to is like, is it, he's also doing this all for Buffy in the end. Like yeah. he says, fuck you to the council. Basically I'm going to help her, right. which is very Giles in that rebellious nature element of it. And also just as caring for Buffy, like mm-hmm. that's going to override it. I know I'm putting my job in jeopardy, which is like the only thing I've cared about for as long as I can remember, but this is more important. So I, that's why I gave it a nine. I took one point away from drugging Buffy. Because, it's fine. I think that's worse. <laughs> you don't really get away well, and that. we know that he loves Buffy. Right. We know the truth. Right. So, uh, and then relationships, uh, I gave it an eight again, mostly because I needed to. But uh, I, you know, I think that the Giles Buffy relationship is the thing—the only thing that brings it down, just because this is a, a kind of a, a huge roadblock for them that they're going to have to overcome, and they never quite get back to to pre-drugging and hypnotizing or hypnotizing and drugging. But everybody else is great, and especially Cordelia. What a short, perfect scene to be like, "Oh my God, I'm so self-obsessed," and then my Bosby report, and blah, blah blah blah. And then the second she sees the tone, and Buffy's like, "Can I get a ride?" And she, yeah. I don't know you. Did something take her memory? He's Giles. Giles. He hangs out here a lot. Like, like the world's not over. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to hear from me. But I just like that kind of supportiveness. Like, I don't need to know what's going on. You asked me to do something. We're not friends anymore. Right. Yeah. We're not These even are friends comments anymore. about how crazy you are. Yeah. No, it's wonderful. It's Fantastic. absolutely wonderful. And, and she's just going to go off to another show. We only have so much time left with Cordelia. I know. It's like, it really does kind of, it kills you inside. Like you expect to have all the time Cordelia. with her. And then she becomes a corp- you know, corporeal, incorporeal being, whatever you have to say. Yes. That whole mess. Uh, and then also, I think all of our other friends are pretty supportive. Like Buffy, we're we, yeah, we're worried fine. about you. There's something wrong with you, clearly, and they're they're not there enough to be anything other than two scenes. Okay, them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So give that an eight uh, episode specific. I had a tough one with this. So I guess a ten out of ten, though. Oh, absolutely, a ten out of ten. Uh, but so the bite me thing at the end, after Quinn's like, you did a good job. You should be proud of yourself. And she's like, bite me. Apparently. That was I mean, that's the first time she's ever said it, but David Fury mentioned that that ended up being like a tagline for the fans and stuff. He said he was like, I would see it on bumper stickers, and every time there was a media, like a press coverage about the show, they would say, bite me in it. And he's like, I didn't mean for that to be a thing. It was just kind of a mm. line to say. Uh, so I, I put that as my episode specific just because whatever, but I think I think Quentin Travers really sums up the whole thing where he's like, you have a father's love for the child, and that's useless to the cause. Because in that moment, you're like, we're a fucking shadowy entity that doesn't give a shit about you. You're just a tool. Um, and Giles, you're weak because you're, you care. And I think that was really what a good encapsulation. Cause? 
Yeah, yeah. that and, and Giles saying, um, you're waging a war and she's fighting it, yeah. I think was a really cool line too. And that probably should have been it instead. Anyway, the episode just gets a 10 of 10 because it gets a 10 of 10. <laughs> pick, pick your favorite. So that's 46 overall. And uh, this puts it tied for Band Candy or tied with Band Candy for third. Stacia, are you ready? Yes. And you always won for last week. Don't yeah, forget. so I have to do last week first, um, which I put Gingerbread at 18 out of 45. Okay. It's below Homecoming and Inca Mummy Girl and above Dark Age and What's My Line Part 2. Okay. So that's for Gingerbread. And then for this week, I put Helpless at 23 out of 46. So it's below Phases and I Only Have Eyes for You and above Beauty and the Beasts and What's My Line Part 1. <laughs> okay. That works. Uh, for me, I'm putting this at number 66 overall. It would have been a lot, I think, a lot lower if it wasn't for how good Giles and Buffy are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they carry the whole thing. Um, this was uh, another flimsy episode, but it reminds me a lot of uh, Prophecy Girl, where they're having that really intense conversation mm-hmm. where Buffy says, I don't want to die. And this was another, how could you? Uh, if you touch me, just the way she said, you. "Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know you." Such good stuff. I mean, uh, that was like you could just oh eat on that for days. Mm-hmm. It's so good, and that alone is like puts us up high. So sixty six is pretty low overall because I don't think this is that great of an episode, but it definitely does a lot of really great things. Uh, the, our main bad guy had such a meaty role, and he really lived up to it. That guy was great. He'll the be back. Mu- he will be, and the music. I don't really recognize the music and maybe that's on purpose that's good you know it just kind of blends in so well I didn't see it. but this music was unbelievable Christophe back I assume oh yeah mm-hmm. this was the best music Perfect of the show work. it was so good and it it, it it really heightened every moment that everything came up uh, so this is uh at 66, it is above you know gingerbread revelations homecoming the the latest ones we've had but it is below uh, band candy which is my number 12 and the wish 34 lovers walk and amends are in the low fifties. So I don't think it's as good as those ones, but it's definitely better than most of this season. Yeah. But it's still kind of middling. And I think they get, the show just gets better. It's better and better. It does. Okay. I think that's uh that's about it. So should you have anything to say for yourself? <laughs> have you ever uh, thought about how, and this is all your fault. The birth oh no. of the buff. Buffy was born in the buff. Oh yes. She was. <laughs> the birth of the... Well, that's probably what Xander was thinking. Oh, maybe. Oh, no, gross. Okay. Daniel, <laughs> do you have anything to leave us with? Birth of the buff. Okay. Birth of the cool. Miles Davis. Birth You're of the buff. Goddamn right. Uh, that's it. So next week, please come back. It'll be the 26th, and we're going to be watching Daniel's favorite episode? can't wait is it number one or is it just a no no top top, no 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 it's the zeppo and uh. it's is it a top 10 or yes is yes. it a top five probably okay. is it a bottom 10 probably <laughs> uh, i'm 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 very curious though because this this season is uh i was really curious if i was still gonna feel a certain way and they're really good well, let's everybody task ourselves in this moment to think of meta moments in tv that meta uh, moments in tv that That's were great. influential or remember rememberable memorable memorable <laughs> but we'll see you next week to talk about the zeppo uh, Stacia, say goodbye. Goodbye. Daniel, say goodbye. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Hey.